I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So welcome along to the Rocky Road Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Kevin Byrne, I'm joined this week by producer-in-chief Simon McGuire. Hey, Simon. Kevin, how are you? Producer-in-chief, I like the... I, like the, uh... <laughs> I, I don't even know what the editor-in-chief or in-chief even means. Anyone who describes it to themselves, in-chief, it's redundant. Who needs it? Well, producer-in-chief agrees, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So what's the crack? How are you keeping, Simon? Very well, thank you. Very well. Looking forward to a break now. As, as I'd imagine many of our listeners are over the Christmas, I am exhausted. Yeah, I think everybody is now, and uh, you know, crashing towards the end of uh, 2023, we're going to have a best of Irish boxing uh, year in review coming up, coming your way as well in the in the following days or weeks as well. So there's a lot to get through. What a year it's been, um, but we're we're finishing strong with the podcast at the end of this year. Yeah, it feels like it took you a year to get this, I uh, guess, <laughs> and the rest, maybe two, I'd say, Simon. And um, today, I was down in Crumlin where I had an interview with uh, undefeated Irish professional boxer, Tony, the Irish psycho Bates, um, has not boxing since 2018 and had most of his activity between the, uh, the years 2011 and 2014. And there's a myriad of reasons for that, Simon. And they might include? <laughs> well, good to you. But look, uh, as as you'll discover over the, t- over the two episodes with Tony Bates, he, like he's... He's not had it easy. I mean, he, like, I mean, he he's suffered from you know addiction issues and stuff like that, and getting in trouble outside the ropes. Inside the ropes, I think is is his talent is undeniable. He's sparred with absolutely everybody, in, in certainly in Australian boxing, where he's based himself for most of his career. Honestly, when you get to hear the list, Simon, it's a who's who. He's talking about Jorge Linares, Michael Katsidis, Tim ah, Tazu, your favorite, yeah, Tim Tazu, Victor Chinian. Danny Jacobs, even Shane Mosley, Anthony Mundine. I mean, this guy's been in the ring with absolutely everybody, but just didn't really get the same breaks. And as he explains, it's for discipline reasons, as some of the other Irish Aussies got, uh, like TJ Doughty, who went on to win the IBF world title, and Dennis Hogan, who went on to win the IBO, in, in glittering globetrotting careers, as we mentioned. Um, Tony reckons he probably just didn't have the same discipline. He had the talent, and he still does. Tony's back boxing a bit in, in Dublin now, and that's where I saw him today, participating in a, in a session down a Crumlin Boxing Gym, and then went for a chat afterwards. So look, in part one, we're going to talk about growing up in what he says is the toughest neighborhood in the whole country, in a, near in Clondalkin, starting out in boxing, uh, but finding drink, gambling, and cocaine at a young age as well. Tony's going to discuss moving to Australia, getting set up in the amateur code across there, finding a, finding a boxing family, which ultimately led to his conversion to Islam. So we discussed all that in, in part one. Um, you hear you hear stories that are like from Tony that are like you can tell we're building to a kind of like almost like a crescendo. And in part two, um, we we speak about Tony uh, eventually serving time in Australia. You know, he ends up in a maximum security prison, and uh, some of the stuff he went through there is like knock your socks off. Like he stabbed, did the stabbing. You know what I mean? He was you know he was a he's a tough guy, and I think um some of the prison stories are like. I honestly thought I was watching an old episode of Oz when I was just listening to them, you know what I mean? And yeah. He, t- he talks about, what, the reason you mentioned at the start, it's an interview I've been looking to do for a while, is because Tony contacted me from um, Christmas Island Detention Centre back in 2021, where he was stuck. He was being deported from Australia, which he, was, which he was appealing at the time. But because it was COVID, they just moved people to Christmas Island for an indefinite uh, number, number of months or whatever. And 
he'd done his time. He'd, ser- he'd served his penalty. He served his punishment. And he, he just wanted to go home at that stage or being reinstated to Australia. But he ended up being stuck on Christmas Island, I think, for 18 months. You know, and there was riots there and they burnt the mattresses, burnt the beds here, made to sleep on just on the ground, on the cold steel. So it's, it's a mad story. But ultimately, Tony found his way home, found boxing again. And more importantly, he's found peace. And he's, he's looking to fight again in 2024 now age 35 years old he's lost a lot of time but he's looking disciplined and sharp and you know most importantly i think active addiction is behind him yeah so here is part one uh, of our conversation with tony bates i'm sitting here with tony bates back on the scene making looking to make some noise in pro boxing but tony now is telling me about some of the problems he's had in life to halt his halt his career in the ring to get to this stage Yeah, alaikum. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Um, I'm glad to be here for starters. Uh, I haven't fought in a number of years due to complications with addiction, the system. I was in prison, in and out of jail. And uh, yeah, I just had to get myself together. Um, I'm content. At this stage, being 35 right now to be in the position I'm in because I've realized that addiction wasn't my sole purpose on this earth. And uh, I had more to more potential than, um, than, what, that, than what I had originally believed to be, uh, to be within me. So um, I just watched you doing a load of rounds on the pads in Crumlin Boxing Club, mm-hmm. throwing combinations with uh bad intent you know a lot of power and you're you're talking about you know the guy doing the passage just goes if you keep doing that tony you're going to be anyone in ireland that you're away and you're looking strong and you're looking confident and we're going to get to the you know we're going to get to the difficulties you've been through in the last few years but could you have seen yourself two or three or four years ago being in this position now where you're home happy and healthy yes and no because Addiction is a love-hate relationship. One minute you love it, the next you hate. You always hate, you know it's not good for you, but you don't know any different. In regards to oh, everything that you possess, all your energy, all your focus is, is channeled into a direction which is, in the end, it's no good for you. You know, do you want to hold it? It's no good for you, you know? Yeah. And, and, and you need to keep digging deeper to realize that. And when you come to the conclusion that addiction is no good for you and to start living the right life, whether you find God or read Islam six, seven years ago, it's been a bit of a enlightening course to say at least, because every day that was in darkness, the gambling and, 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 and drinking drugs or whatever the case may be or in prison, I pleaded with uh, God to enlighten me. Uh, and, and I'm so grateful that he did. Um, to say the least, I'm just happy to be alive. I'm happy to be alive. I'm happy to be alive. You're a true blue from Dublin. What part of Dublin are you from? How did you get started in boxing? What were you like as a kid? Um, how did I get started in boxing? <laughs> I, had a, I watched the Rocky movie when I was eight years of age. I was somewhat slightly bullied. Uh, when I was younger, I had four older sisters, a group in Greenford, Clondalk, and if you know Greenford, Neilstown, anywhere from Greenford, Liffey Valley to Neilstown Bridge is, it's the, I wouldn't say the roughest, I'd say the toughest area in South Dublin, uh, if not Ireland. And uh, growing up there was a harsh condition, especially with having sisters and our brothers. So I, I needed to learn how to fight. And I watched Rocky movie one day because I, I played alone a lot of times when I was younger. I've had it hung around until I started learning how to fight. When I learned how to fight, I, I, got, I got respect in the area because up to that point, I was looked at as like just an only child. Like, do you know what I'm saying? And then uh, I became the best fighter in the whole area. Um, and that goes really saying, you know? Were your sisters, like all older sisters? All older sisters. Protective? Yeah. Somewhat, yeah. But they knew that... Uh, that I was a good fighter, and I and I didn't really divulge into any too much of my uh, my, my my fighting on the street with them. I just I just kept it to myself. I'm embarrassed to say, but it's true. I have an older sister, and she did some of the fighting for me back in the day. You know, I, I'd be picked on by some older kids, kids like that were more her age, and I she fought some of them on my behalf. Did you go through a bit of that? My my sister, that was the one up for me, Kelly. 
<sighs> she always had me back. They always they, they all all had me back. But Kelly was you know she hold me. They all had me back. Uh, but I, I, she she knew a lot more from the area because she was uh, she was roughly the same age, you know. So were you into other sports or was it was it boxing for you? I was the captain of many football teams. I captained the school team. I captained Quarryville, Ballyfermm. I played for some Premier League teams, but there was always uh, I was from another area, and I always had to get a bus to train myself. But I, I played for Belvedere for a season. I was scouted by other few teams, but I didn't possess the speed that they needed. I had all the the rest of the athleticism strength and this and that but I didn't know I lacked a bit of speed on the foot so that's what, what position did you play? Uh, central midfield yeah, centre midfield I played everywhere but mainly centre back centre midfield up front did you play with any young lads who, who made it? yeah we, well, I played against Anthony Stokes and I played I played on the same team as Keith Tracy for Belvedere but I didn't really like him to be honest he's a bit up himself and uh, me being from Clondalk and going over there and they were all like you know like middle class and me being from a uh, like a working class background they didn't really look at me too nicely you know mm. but it didn't bother me it didn't phase me whatsoever you know did anyone stand out that you thought would definitely make it back then that yeah, didn't? I'm sure it could. Did make it? That even the ones that didn't, because there's so. Yeah. Was the best football I ever played against him and Paul Dunphy from Balia as well. He had a great football. A lot of people from Balia could not well really good football players like Terry Orchard and all that but I'd always played on the major or the A or this and that because of the speed you know um, but, but that's alright but, but, but Anthony Stokes was the best player that I ever played against in schoolboy uh, Dublin goal machine oh fuck I had to mark him he scored a hat-trick against me he was a savage <laughs> yeah, I swear to God yeah he was savage man he you know, really was really, really, like, we were 9 years of age and he was a bit like a bleeding 18 year old you know so he was savage he was. Any type of goal? Any type of goal. He'd run through you, you know? Yeah. All day. But uh, yeah. Were you one of those kids who found boxing as a way of like to become a better footballer? I think Jamie Conlon, that was his route into boxing. He wanted to be like Michael Owen. He heard Michael Owen had done a bit of boxing. That made him a better footballer. That's how he found boxing. See where, see where um, in school... When I was getting bullied up to a certain age, I joined. I was really not good at football. Then I joined the football team, and then I became the captain because I was the strongest player on the team and the best fighter. So that was my way of gain, get, getting uh, respect on the street because of the area. I never saw fighting every day because the area was mad where I grew up in. You know, horses everywhere, drugs, this that, crime. So, and uh, a lot of young kids who thought they were something that they weren't. You know what I mean? So you'd always have to fight and. Uh, yeah, we fought. See, with football, you won more than you lost. In the yeah, of course, of course, and that's how you get your respect. And, and I'm happy to avoid to get me respect. That's the thing, like, because you get nothing for nothing in this world. But what's it called? Can, can you tell us about any of those early fights you had? Do you remember much about them? Any to stand out? Uh, well, on the street, like, yeah. oh yeah, Robbie Brennan. Uh, Robbie Brennan was. We used to hang around together. He lived on the enemy street, but like he was a year or two older than me, and he was kind of putting the army ticket but he never wasn't a tough guy I knew he wasn't and then I broke his nose with a, head, a couple of headbutts it was, I think I was nine years of age or something and he went home crying to his mouth with a broken nose and fucking everyone on the street got saying it and then I kept on fighting and beating them all as well and then I ended up with respect in the area for fighting but I wasn't really aware of uh, my potential my true potential until like let's see for boxing for me Football was good for a team sport. Being the captain and wanting everyone to improve in their own in, the, in their own sense, but they never had the motivation or were lazy or they weren't strong enough or they were weak getting into tackles. You tried to push them, but they, you know I looked at boxing as as an individual sport where I could really really do as I please because on football a lot of the weak ones they they, they they keep you they they hold you up you know. So boxing was good because. Everyone in the gym, whether it be my idol, Stephen Arm was one of my idols. He was like four or five years older than me. But from, I used to hang around with Stephen from, from when I was 13, 14, he was 18. And I'd be out drinking with him and 14, 15, they were all 18, 19. I'd be out clubbing and whatever the case may be. And it was me, Stephen, Luke Keeler, Sean Hunt, Timsey, Maguire, Christy Marrett, uh, Mick McKeever, all the Murrays. In Ballyferm, when we joined, we amalgamated together. Quarryville, oh, the Ormans, Greg Arm, Brendan Dunn. It was a, 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 and I got the, I got the, the, the young, uh, 
athlete, the young box prospect of the year when I was 14, when my dad's former boss at Taunton's recycling before he died. The, he was supposed to be a miserable man with his money, so he tried to give a bit away before he died, before he had to go face his, his, uh, his maker, you know? And, and you got it? I got, I got two grand or something, yeah. Stephen got the senior one, but Stephen went down to win the seniors that, that year as well. Uh, but again, I was still a few years off that, you know, when I, when I was still competing. I got to the semis and the finals of All-Ireland. I beat a lot of big names. I didn't, I didn't properly, properly, uh, you know, put, 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 uh, put into practice on a daily basis in regards to training because I, I was a young fella from Clondalk and I, I, I had to see the world. I went to live, hang around Balia, hung around town, partying, drinking. But that was just the culture. I knew no different. I knew no different. I grew up in an environment where drink was the norm. Yeah, did you start drinking young enough? I started drinking when I was 11. 11, I got polluted at my sister's 21st. And then, uh, and then I used to drink every weekend after. Yeah. Mm. You knew plenty of older lads that could get you the cans or whatever. Yeah, we used to, we used to go up people who are in addiction. We used to stand outside the finches and give them a five or to go in for us. And we get six cans of Stonehouse or six cans of uh, Linden Village and all, all, yeah, all these you know, Dutch, Dutch gold and all, yeah, all that type of stuff. And then we smoking hash or whatever. And then later on, like, you know, you get older and it moves on. And what happens next is uh, yeah, you, you'll have to make uh, sense of that, you know? Yeah, uh, it's a familiar tale, I'm sure, to many boxers now that are in their 30s or 40s. They'll re recall their teenage years when they were getting seriously into their sport. Like, I mean, on a personal level, I think I just fell away from sport. Mm. GAA and soccer took drinking and chasing girls more seriously in my teenage exactly. years. Mm. It, some people stayed in and maybe didn't achieve all they felt they could have committed. At least, I guess, on your, on your side, you stayed involved. Oh, Kevin. Or did you just fall away? Kevin, uh, Kevin uh, if I didn't have boxing, I'd be dead today. Boxing has given me a purpose in life. To, 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 it makes an individual, uh, whether it be a youth, whether it be an adolescent or whatever the case may be, if you get sport into their life from a young age, they'll always have something to fall back on because without sport, without healthy consciousness, like well-being in your mind and in your soul, you're never going to, you're never going to be able to, you're never going to be able to complete any mission at hand, whether that's a fight within yourself, whether it's be addiction, whether it's be gambling, whether it's be fucking get over someone you loved, whatever the case may be. If you don't have something else that you, you can divulge the information and process the food, well then you, you know what, you're still going to be hungry. So, did you, you didn't achieve though all you wanted in Irish amateur boxing? Did you like? I, mean, I never achieved anything as such. What, like what was your best moment in, in boxing before you left for Australia? Oh, before I left for Australia, oh, I had quite a number of good wins. I'd be, I'd be, I fought Jamie Cavanagh in Spain when he was world junior champion. One with Phil Sutcliffe on his show in Spain, and uh, everyone was there from the area, you know. All the all the names, all the big names, and uh, I dropped them. I got beaten on a, was it like a fifty? What's it called? Count back or something like that. Yeah. I felt like I won the fight, but Biz Jamie was busy in the last round because he had all the he had the fitness. He had the he's world junior champion for Phil Junior. I beat him one one. It was one one with him. We fought Thomas Finnegan nine times. Beat him five. Beat me four. Fought, fought all of them, fought them all, you know. John Joe Joyce, John Joe Joyce, I was beating him till he, he picked me out the last couple of rounds because he was he was he was under the high performance team, which I never I never even got a look into, you know. Do you think, like, can you describe your fighting style as a, as a young lad, like those who wouldn't have seen you back then? And do you think that? Maybe involvement, obviously, with the high performance team would have maybe brought you onto that level. Oh, I, I was well good enough. I know I was well good. No, to be honest, if I had the right training, and when I went to, into the high performance team for Australia, and they took me on in there for six weeks, uh, like, and the training I was doing with them three, three times a day, there was nobody could touch me, even the Australian champion, this and that. I sparred Jeff Horn there, it was an even spar. Like, I took his position to fight for him against New Zealand and Tonga. And I stopped the two guys in, in like knockouts and I sparred him before he went to the world championships, before he went to the Olympics as well. And bro, I'll give it to him. You know, it was even like, 
and he went on to be Pacquiao. Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. And I sparred Cambosis, I sparred Liam Parrow, I sparred them all, like, and, and give it to them if not, it was even, like, you know, yeah. like, it was 50-50. I think everybody who's been a significant Australian boxer in the last 15 years, you've sparred, and we'll get to that in a minute, because yeah. the list of Tim Tazoo, uh, yeah, Tim Anthony Mundine, all the Michael Cassidus, Cassidus yeah. Hoggle and Aris in, 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 in America, uh, especially Mosley as well uh, in, in, in Sydney, Spar Victor Achidian, Lou Mornadu, Spar Billy Dib, Anthony Mundane, Daniel Gill. I sparred bit of heaps, heaps of good There's players. no more Australian boxers. Did any of them yeah. stand out as. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that part in a minute because we, we, we want to get to the part where you moved to Australia. Yeah. Uh, was it 2008 you moved to Australia? What was it that sent you, what was it that sent you down, down under? Financial crisis. Financial crisis. What were you working at back here? What was your prospects? Sparky, it was a Sparky. It was a, 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 into the electrical trade. Um, I'd also uh, busy in the gym and had that party and lifestyle around me as well. So so obviously pretty, but it was plenty of partying and wherever else was involved, drinking and all that crap. But uh, yeah. You didn't go to Australia with the intention of being a boxer in Australia. You no, went no. to be a party to no, no, keep, keep up the party. To be honest, like when I was here, there was quite a bit of trouble around me uh, when I was getting to be 20, just touching twenty-one, and uh, and I had enough money to go, and I didn't really. As when, to, when you when you say a bit of trouble around you, what do you mean? Uh, <laughs> people that I, I was partying with and stuff like that, they were getting like some of them were going to jail for a long time, some of them were getting shot. A lot of them, like, they were just in a party environment. Dublin City back then was mad. It was on the early house scene, like, day clubs, raving, and, you know, spirit, traffic, scene, the white horse. And I'm just being honest, man. I didn't knew no different because I grew up in that environment. And I was brought into that environment when I was 15, 16. So it became my second nature to adapt into that environment because but no one else gave me any education. So I had to educate myself. Mm. So... It was good though. And people went to jail. People went to, and I said, I said to myself, I looked around a few things. I said, I said, I didn't see what I wanted to see in Ireland. So I wanted to. People that I was were good friends of mine at the time. They were moving to Australia, and I felt like that was a horizon that I needed to, to see. So I, so I, I took. I went there for one year. I got the second year. I started boxing there again. I knew I was going to box again because I was. To be honest, I was heavy in addiction when I was here with a young fella as well. I was gambling and drinking, using cocaine way too much, way too much. And uh, which came first, gambling or cocaine? Gambling, drinking, and cocaine. Gambling was worse. Do you remember what age you were when you had your first bet? I think it was eight or nine. I used to go up every Saturday morning and watch John McCurdy on on Channel Four's uh, uh, the Morning Line. Isn't that what it's called? Okay, John McCurry Channel remember, 4 are, yeah, yes the mo- uh, morning Saturday morning lion show or something like that. and uh, right down the horse and go to put me dad and studying the jockeys and the trainers and 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 and, and, and uh, you know what stable yards they came from and all of that and then I'll be asking him to stick on a euro or euro or two or five on the horse and then before you knew it like what you put into your kids at a young age, they're never going to forget. So that was my way of finding love in a way because money was love to whoever was around me in that area. And my father's eyes would light up when he seen the money winning the horse. So I wanted that. I want him to be happy. But then the more further I got into prediction, it wasn't about him anymore. The more all I got older, I was getting served in my school uniform and Tom Floods and Finches. And, and then life spoils to feed the habit. So gambling, drinking, and you know, so you have to walk then. You have to, you, you have to walk, you have to walk for yourself. Did you feel like, uh, like you were probably as a young guy, you were a very good gambler, you felt, and you know, this, I'm great at this. And did you fall into the trap then maybe? I fell into the trap where when I had more money, it was like gambling tokens. So the more money I had, the more you were accepted in a sense, but I didn't know what to do with the money. I never put money to good use. All I did was wanted to gamble it. I wanted to make other people happy instead of myself happy because I didn't, the money was easy for me to make, like going to work, electric, electrical work, when I went to Australia boxing or whatever sponsorships and all that. But like, I never valued anything in life as such. I was, to be honest, like I was looking for a connection with God that I had never found before. And then, you know, as time goes on, he, 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 you see the, 
Um, do you see the, the 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 road that he's trying to guide you onto? So you you ask him for guidance and 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 and, and you do your best to get on the right path. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. And that that right path, like I mean, Australia did initially. Anyway, was definitely the right path. You got back in the box. And oh yeah, saying, man. Man, I went you to found uh, yourself. Yeah, Kevin. Man, I went to. Uh, I arrived in Perth, Western Australia. Took a lot of blueies on the fucking plane. <laughs> I had to get out of Ireland, man. I was full strung out on coke, I was. And uh, not strung out, but like, I love to party. That was the thing, bro. Because I knew no different. What are we. A child in Ireland is brought up in a drinking environment, party involved. The parents and all that. That's what we do. I couldn't understand how people didn't drink. When I go to Spain at 11, 12, 13, I'll be slaughtered drinking, drinking San Miguel and smoking hash and trying to get right, getting with women at 12, 13 years of age. And, you know, like, and I was already a grown up, but I was only a kid. Yeah, yeah. You understand? Yeah. Because my parents were, I was only, I was the youngest, so I didn't know anyone looking after me. So Just I looked after me. You're showing them that I'm, a, I'm the big man as well. Yeah, 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 exactly. And trying to sit with them and drink because I was drinking with them. Uh, you know what I mean? That age, like, uh, so you know no different I remember sitting with people and going but you don't drink because in my head I was wired to drink that's all I knew because it was everywhere I was picking up cans at fucking five six years of age putting them in the bin because Christmas parties kids never forget that so then when I went to Australia I joined up with Ruben the Cube and I went to work and I, uh, I went to the gym and Ruben the Cuban. You Ruben the Cuban. He was an ex. He's actually from Cuba. He trained an Olympic team coach team over there. Right. Like he's savage trainer. One of the best trainers I ever had in my life for technique fundamentals and stepping with shots. Da, 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 and, but bro, this bloke would drive you into the ground non-stop two hours every day, two and a half hours. 10k, 8k run, come back. Drills, 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 back, back, back. And non-stop. So I fought the Australian champion in my first fight, and I, I think I beat him in three rounds or something like that. And then uh, second fight I had against rematch against him, and I got beaten on points. But I won the fight. Like it was, like I, I edged it out. Like it was a split decision. Uh, it was fractional in the difference, you know. I think he he got out. That was the only one I lost, you know. But I won the fight. I know I won the fight. I stopped him in the fight before, man. Yeah, I was hammering him. Do you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, I didn't get the decision. Then, I, and then after that fight, I um, I moved to Sydney, and then I went to 23, 20, 23 or twenty four. Now as a pro, about sixteen knockouts as, as an amateur. amateur sorry, yeah. as an amateur, yeah. And I fought for I fought all around Australia, and then uh, who gave you the nickname? Did you get it in the amateurs? The Irish Psycho, based. Yeah, I got it. Did you, did you like the nickname? I I got it as an amateur when I was a kid in in, in with the, with the lads from Clonmel because I beat Thomas Finnegan when he beat me to go to the European Championships when he not the Euro, the like the multi nations and he won the gold uh, and I beat him with Brendan Dunn and Bernard Dunn was at the ringside because the winner was gone to represent and I was away with the school at this student council thing breaking down barriers with Northern Ireland uh, up in Stormont so when I came back I wasn't really fit and he beat me on points. But in the last round, I knew I was getting beat. And Thomas could punch, like, me and Thomas are mates still now, like, you know. Uh, so I, I just bit him in his chunk out of his shoulder. And uh, he goes, look at that, look at that, he started complaining. But he knew that I was, you know what I mean? He had, the, he had the victory. He knew he had up on me, but he knew I was strong. So I said, I put something in the ground the next time, I bite your, bite your, and I bite your nose out. I says, and this is me at 15 years of age, like, you know? <laughs> and that's what I said to him, like, you know? But Thomas is a good guy, like, but, but that's the, 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 the heated temper. That's what it gets yeah. you. When you're on your own in that ring, and you don't, you, you've only, you can only act in one way, bro. And natural and sometimes you need to bite and sometimes you need to get them a bang in your head because there's, you, there's you feel a, pain yourself there's a massive contrast there though as well between the kind of the clear thinking young student who's in Stormont for a cross-border conversation yeah. and then the guy who goes into the ring and becomes you know that guy yeah because like a lot of like, and the fitness is what what made me buy Thomas because I went away and I didn't try him when I was in Belfast you're angry at yourself, yeah. I was angry at myself and I knew I should have won in that fight and Brendan Dunn that's why he bought his son Bernard to the fight because they they thought it was going to win. You, you made a civil, you made a very civilized choice about your life, and then you regretted it. You said I should have been an animal, and here's the animal now. I'll show you. Yeah, I wouldn't call myself an animal. I call myself a beast because an animal, an, an animal does animalistic things, and I don't do animalistic things anymore. I did at one stage, but 
not anymore but I believe in my creator I'm putting a purpose here from Allah I'm a Muslim I'm a revered and it's the only thing that saved my life I'm so happy to be um, a Muslim because how did you come how did you convert and you said it was oh man I could go on for days about this I could tell you there'd be I'll write a book on this man um, had had many dreams and visions uh, I'll tell you too, just to, you can make whatever sense you can make it. Well, I'll be honest, it's gone through a bit of a rough patch. I always, when I went to the gym, I went from Ruben the Cuban to Arnel Bertilio, who fought Manny Pacquiao, and he, for the world, the uh, regional title or the world title, wherever it was. He fought Pacquiao in, in Manila, Arnel was a savage boy. He was my coach for a few. I went unbeaten with Arnel, that's with all the amateurs. Then I went to Jeff Fennick. I was, I was training in Redfern by myself for a while. I actually fought a couple of fights with no, with no one in my corner. Only my mate, Yoi Mad in my corner from Thailand. He's a bit of a big circle. He's, he's from a big circle, you know? And uh, he was in the corner a couple of fights and another Commonwealth champion called Terry. What the fuck's his name again? He's a scaffolder from England. from Liverpool Scouts. So he lives in Sydney. He was the last person to fight in the common in, in the Sydney Upper House and won the Commonwealth. Uh, he won the Commonwealth title, and he there was a riot because he, there was a riot in the in the Sydney Upper House because of what happened that night. I don't know. There was a fucking riot in the Upper House, <laughs> but he was in my corner when I fought uh, in the main event in Randwick or something like that with him and Yoi Ma. But then I went then I went to Jeff Fennick because. We went to Jeff Fennick. Jeff Fennick heard about me. He's Jeff Fennick, three-time world champion. And who was I with? Who got me in there? Uh, how did I get to Jeff Fennick? Someone introduced me to Fennick. Barry Raff. Barry Raff, the Aboriginal uh, promoter. He's known for being a bit of a uh, dodgy character. Boy, look, Barry, he's bang on, you know. He's, a, he's one of the lads. He's from a roof here. He's Aboriginal. And they had a roof over there. So Barry put me in contact with Jeff Fennick because they hear that was the goods. And then I went to sparred this kid who was German champion. He was he, he was a, a former Olympian and stuff like that. What's his name again? I have to forget. He, uh, last time I looked, he was 14 and I was, I think he was 14 and one. He won the German title and that. But I sparred him and I dropped him in two rounds. I stopped him in two rounds. Then I sparred him the following week and I stopped him in three rounds. And I mean, dropped them two, three times in the spar. And uh, that's when you were like, who the fuck is this kid? Oh, I didn't know who he was. I didn't give a fuck who he was. I just went into the spar. And, 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 and I knew I was good enough to be anyone on my way. So when that happened, then Billy, the, Billy Hussain was there with Gert Wood. I became a sparring partner for Gert Wood, who won the Contender Australia Series. Uh, and I became really good friends with Gert and his brother. And we had a business as such but I'll go into that I won't go into that today but um, Gart was Gart got me with Billy Billy took me on and uh, I had to say the Hussain's have been the best trainers I've ever had in this world so, so B- Billy Hussain and was Billy did part of that camp and all so it, it yeah, was there a strong was, was they were they all Muslim and oh, is yeah. that, that so, that's, so when I went to that GMA forced when I went to the I seen Islam and being, I remember big Danny Abbas. Danny Abbas is a fuck. He's a Wahaj. A Wahaj is like a beast, you know, from the gym. He's six foot eight or something. He's about 140 kilos, but pure muscle, you know, 125 to 140, right? And, but he's a good friend of mine. But, and he's like, do you want to come in? Like, and I, but I didn't want to, you got to understand, Kevin, those who go to Islam because Islam is strong, they're not looked at the same as those who go to Islam on their own. There's a difference. You understand? There's a difference of people who go to Islam for because I'm talking in regards to, you got to understand where I'm from. I've been to jail and all, Kevin. So in jail, Islam is a strong masculine religion. It's the only real religion left, I believe. So when I first went to the gym, I seen the masculinity and the brotherhood together. But I didn't want to step in and go, can I? I had to learn from myself. So over a number of years, I watched them, I watched them, I watched them, and I watched them how good that, how good that life was. They weren't an addiction like me, partying with fucking idiots, using me, and this and that. And they were, and they were very strong together. They were, they were, they were, they were, they were, they were, they were a cell of brothers that were fucking unbreakable, to be honest. They had some of the biggest names in Australia in that gym in, that gym in, in regards to boxing. And uh, and I watching, watching, watching. And I said, and I said, I'm, I'm a Catholic, you know, I'm a Catholic. To Big Danny, he says, "Want to be Muslim?" I said, "I'm a Catholic. I'm a staunch Catholic." But as time went on, I was in um, 
I knew Islam was the right way because I looked into the, the prophecy lineage, the prophecy lineage of Islam. We all come from Adam and Eve, the 12 tribes of Abraham, the prophecy lineage, Adam, Moses, no, Eve, Solomon, all the way up. The, the Jews didn't take the Christians, like the Jesus, as the Messiah. The Catholics took him as a God. And Muhammad came to say there's only one God. We all believe in the same God. Monotheism. Praise the one, not the Trinity. How can you pray to the created when there's a creator? We all have a purpose on this earth. And that's to praise the creator. Not anyone on this fucking earth. Because anyone on this earth could be what? Wiped out, can't they? True? Can be indeed, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So unless you have a connection with your creator, you'll never be able to beat anyone on this earth. Because he's giving you an inner strength that they won't understand. You know? We'll get back to the inner strength and all, because I believe that's probably one of the things that saved you through the ordeal. Yeah, that yeah, you of went course, through yeah. a couple of years later. Like, uh, But with it, the Islam, I, I, I'll tell you these two dreams. And there's heaps of dreams I've had. You know, people might call me a bit, you know, he's, he's mad or whatever. But at the end of the day, motherfucker, I'm still here, you understand? Anyways, I had a dream one night. I'm in prison. Sean Queen was one of my best childhood friends. His dad set up Peter House, the suicide prevention. I'll tell you the way it is. I don't give a fuck who is listening to this. This is what happened. And um, so I can remember as clear as day. It's gone through a rough patch. I was in prison, obviously, you know, so I was in a six-month sentence or something like that. I was on remand for the charges. All stupid charges, man. But I didn't know what the fuck I was doing at the time, man. My head was all over the place, you know? But I didn't give a fuck. I just had to fight everywhere I went. And at times, it wasn't the best, uh, you know, it wasn't the best option that I chose, but it was the only fucking option I had. You understand? So that was it. And I went in there. I had a dream, man. I'm in this fucking place, man. I'm in this forest, it's green. Sorry about the language, I apologize. But it needs to be raw like this, man, because that's how I feel. I'm in this forest, it's green as can be, there's rivers flowing through it. Now, after after a period of time, I looked into it and I realized that was this was more than what I'd ever imagined, you know? So, I'm in this forest, as green as can be. I can see it, look, I'm looking at feeling this fucking carpet, Kevin. I'm not missing, that's how clear it was. I'm on my own and that fucking it was like being in the bleeding Amazon that's how fucking real it was yeah and as green as could be rivers flowing through I'm there on my own like, what the fool lost and I felt this ice there's a frozen piece of water with ice and my legs fall through I cut my leg my leg is pumping blood I'm panicking I'm like where the fuck am I like I'm in the dream but it's I'm alive like I'm awake you know feels real yeah yeah it is real bro yeah. I walked out and I seen a big temple, big pillars, and it's a mosque. I didn't know what the fuck it was. I'm a Muslim at the time, you know? And um, there's a light shining from it. At the time when this was happening, this dream, the prison before that, for two years, I had a, I had torment every day, probably more than two years. Yeah, roughly two years. I was constantly drinking and using cocaine and, and up to no good with whatever, you know? And then uh, what happened was, I had a dream that bust me leg came out. There's a masjid out. There's a forest. I come out and it's clear. It's clear when I come out of the forest. Like you can't see no more forest, but it's clear. You can see. And there's a big mosque, temple, light shining from. I walked into the waiting room. You, now I don't know how what sense I used to make out of this, but I made my own fucking sense out of it. So I went in. There's a waiting room. Um, Sean Quinn is there. Now, John, if you're listening to this, what you want me to say? This is the truth. If you don't like it, give me a call and I'll, and I'll just give it to you the same way. Yeah, and Sean was in there. He had no top on. He had a six-pack. Um, there was a light shining from another room. There was a baby in a pram with a, with, a, with, a, with a young lady. They all had yellow sleep in their eyes when, when you wake up in the morning. You know the yellow stuff? And there was, say this, See upstairs in this pub here now, where it's empty. This is awful, right? And see that door there? That's the light shining from there. And they're all waiting to get into that light. And Sean had no top on his six pack. Next minute, I goes, what about my leg to go into the next room? Now, we, Sean is dead now. You know, you know that. And he was dead before this dream happened. So this is his message to me. So with the light shining from the other room, I said, Milan, let's go get a fix. Oh, mate, oh, this, what the fuck do I know where I'm in a dream here? But at the time, I couldn't make sense there, but now I can. So he goes, now come back with me. We're back in the forest. And he went from having no top bomb, but he had 
pants on and a six pack but he's grown he's I'm 28 at his age 28 28 um, 28 29 and I was this one of the four sons was in prison it was the four sons was in prison and uh, and then he had silk pajamas on with a, with a hat on and a bell on the hat and he goes what about me leg and he goes don't worry show me how the box these are exact words he said show, I said before that he said show me how the box would be good but he never said be good I want to fucking show people what good is because they're all fucking shit being good to be honest like you know so I look down my leg I see I look back up he's disappeared and I wake up instantly boom what the fuck you know I couldn't make sense out of it following me I had another dream envision this the universe God, the creator, is sitting on top of this earth, of this, this earth, right? And he shows me all the planets and he's sitting there in his throne. And like what, what I can make sense of, to my understanding, my comprehension of what God is, doesn't matter what it looks like, but he's everything. He's everything. It's the energy we're breathing right now. So he just goes, oh, didn't even say, and there's another dream, bro. What the fuck makes sense of this? I'm fucking in prison for the first time. I lost everything and everyone. And I'm like, what's going on here? Like a fight where everyone, because I was mad on the drink, you know? And I seen all, he just showed me every, so images of, of races, of colors of people, of people of coming from different places all around the world. We're going to the center of the earth, but it wasn't like the full body. It was like, you know, like I could do a sketch on this or a cartoon on it. That's how good it was. And the rock Chinese, black, white, Russian, this, that, blah, blah. And the last one to come in was a, ma- a Muslim man with a beard. And he was saying to me in that message, all the people are one people. Look what's going on right now. We're all one. There's only one God. And Muhammad is his final messenger. Because the last man to go to the center of the earth through all the nations, and I've seen them all, the Chinese, the black, the whiteest, I've seen them all, was a Muslim man. And I said, Shalom Allah, La ilaha Allah, Wushad Muhammad, Rasulullah. There's no God but Allah, Muhammad is his final messenger. But not at this stage. Even longer now, I'm looking, I'm reading the Quran, I'm seeing all the signs, and I didn't have the ball still. And one day, I was going through a very, very uh, rough patch, and I begged God for a sign. And, and, and I bumped into, I said, if there's any time you, oh, yeah, I ever ask you for help, I never fucking bitched before in my life, but today was pressure, man. I didn't know what was going to happen. It was full on. I was drinking, I was gambling, I was using cocaine. I was fighting. I had about three, three to six fucking scraps on the street that day, punching shit out of people. But like, in, in my own way, uh, I felt like I was in the right every time. But I was using, so you never stand a chance when you're using. Anyways, I met this Muslim bloke. I said the one day I asked for help, and and and, and he gave me a lie. And, and and I'm on the day I said how many fights I have. I'm about to boy. My head's about to pop, man. My head's about to go boom. Yeah. And I go psych war, prison for a long time, you know. And then I said to him, "Give me a lie," and, and instantly the, the 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 kettle stop, stop, stop boiling. My head. And he gave me a light of smoke and I asked him, who are you from? This and he goes, I'm going to pray. I'm a Muslim. He goes, I'm from Morocco or wherever you're from Iraq. I'm going to pray Friday prayers now. Do you want to come? And, and the day, I never asked God for any life. On this day, I asked him for help and he gave me help. And I went down and took my shahad. And I said, Ashadu Allah, ila Allah, wa shadu Muhammad, the Buddha, Rasulullah. There is no God but Allah, Muhammad is his final messenger. And even at that stage, I knew it was the right answer. I didn't have all the answers. I was in and out of addiction, back in, back out, back in, back out. Why? Because I need a true belief in 100% that I can't complete my mission without the guidance of Allah. And Alhamdulillah, I'm here today. You know? It's some story so far. We're, here, mm. we're talking to Tony Bates here, Irish professional, still undefeated. Tony, you're 35 now. You, yeah. start, you started off um, pro debut. So after that successful amateur career in Australia, you started off your pro debut and it was 2011. There was a lot of Irish boxers move, moving to Australia at the time. There was obviously, um, Gareth Foley came a bit later, but John O'Carroll was getting started over there. Yeah, Dennis Hogan, right. Dennis Hogan was establishing himself and TJ Doheny. Yeah, TJ is a really good friend of mine. Uh, a great fighter, to be honest. The stand there, uh, uh, Dennis, Dennis is a great fighter, very dedicated, very disciplined. Not as good as TJ, John O. John O'TJ for a 50-50, Dara Foley, I'd stop him if I fought him. 
there was a good Irish there was a good Irish scene at the time it was a good time to be coming up as an Irish boxer as well like I, I travelled down to Australia as well spent a year down there as well there was a lot of Irish down there Mm. and you could attract a lot of people to your fights mm. did you feel like you had the world at your feet when you started off ah, I had a great support the Irish were always like like you know look, I got into the yeah, I'm Irish 100% I never stop being Irish I love being Irish I'm an Irish Muslim yeah but I'm fucking Irish number one so well, I used to hang around with all, all Irish people the Irish descendants ancestors of ours and all just real true original Irish people whether it be from Cork Donegal Sligo Tim, whatever you are, if they said you were Irish, they were with me because there was a lot of us hanging around together. We were in Scruffy Morpies every weekend. We were, <laughs> we were having the time of our life. Money was, there was no shortage of money. We had everything. We had our own apartment. We had really good fun. We had love. Everyone was loving each other and, 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 and everything like that, you know. But like being Irish and being a drink involved, it's only a matter of time before tr- trouble knocks at you, though, you know. Mm. Like you three fights your first year, uh, 2011, uh, three fights in 2012. I'm seeing here another three in 2013 mm. and another two in 2013. Kevin, I should have had them five to eight fights a year. Yeah, got coming up back as a rising contender. Yeah. Oh, but, but you're active. I was and active. Yeah. Like, like we mentioned earlier on, let's talk about some of that as well. Like I see pictures of you with Tim Tzu, just Daniel Gale, yeah. Anthony Mundine. You know, Danny Jacobs. Danny yeah. Jacobs, yeah. Who fought GGG? Danny fought Canelo. Danny's a mate of ours. There was like a few of us used to have. Danny used to, we went to America and then he'd come to Australia and we'd have, he's, he's a cool dude, man. A really good, nice dude, you know. He's from the heart of uh, Brooklyn. So he's a good skin. Yeah, well, I sparred, I sparred some of my idols. The best spar I had to say, uh, uh, the oi. The, I sparred Linares for three weeks in in, in, in New York, in uh, Vegas, sorry. And, and peak Linares, this is, yeah. This is the peak Linares. Yeah, ah, and you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't hold me. Oh. No, not being honest, look, he gave it to me, but he didn't hold me. And that's when I knew when I landed a couple of shots on him and I'm 23 at this age and I hadn't even got the power I have now. And I go, that's when I started to believe. But the, the only reason how I started believing in myself is through my, my coach, the Hussein brothers. They brought me to spar. Um, so I was sparring Victor when I was amateur. I was sparring a lot of pros when I was amateur. And a lot of like, you know, like regional champions and stuff that weren't, they're not known to this country, but they'd be big names over there. Yeah. And, and I'd be giving it to them and sparring. A lot of them would be dropping and stuff like that. Like, oh, putting uh, too much, uh, too much offense on, on them where they couldn't defend it. You know what I mean? So when it came to sparring, the best spar I had, because I was 15 years of age and it was with Greg Ormond and Brendan Dunn. We were in, we were in Quarryville at Bally Fair and matches and, and, and we were watching Sky Sports every Saturday night, buying myself a Friday night. And uh, I've been just sitting around my own watching it and, and, and I watched Michael Cassidy's when he fought uh, Graham Merrill. Yeah, famous fight. Oh, what a fight. And I'm watching Michael and I'm 15 and I'm idolizing him. And next minute I'm in Sydney, I'm, I'm four and oh. He's going to fight Ricky Bournes. So we're sparring, one of his sparring partners. And I, I, I stopped him in four rounds. I stopped him in four rounds. I bust him up, I dropped him, everything. And and everyone's, and, and that's the, the first day I started to really believe that I could be, like, I believe, it doesn't matter about being world champion. It doesn't matter about that. Being a good fighter is with that day when I, when I fuck my conceders up. You know? How did you do it? Do you remember the tactic? He, he ran out. He, do you know where he fights, man? This isn't too oh, far off when he fought Marquez. This is only a couple of years after that. Yeah. Do you understand? So we still prime. And he come at me, bum, 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 bum. And in your heart, because you're watching from your 15, you're watching fighting Marquez, you're watching him fighting uh, Casamayor, you're watching fighting all these greats. And then you're in the ring with him, in the squared circle. And you're like, what the fuck? This bloke is an absolute beast. Like for a small man, like the bloke doesn't stop throwing punches and he's tough as nails. So he came out, bum, bum, bum. And he gave it to me the fourth round and then Billy told me to get back on the jab, throw the uppercut, relax, sit in your punches. And I just start wiping them, just cleaning them. Just clean slate. It was too, my, my range was too good for him. I just had him on the end of the jab, banging the uppercuts, this, that. We were mixing it at stages, you know, when we were in the trenches, but, I, I gave him two cuts and then I hurt him with an uppercut and, and he wobbled him, put him to his knees. He had to get the fight postponed. So I believe there was a fight with Ricky Bourne, then it got postponed or something, didn't it? Because he was cut because of Spartan. Michael was a great fighter, but I think he was a bit past his best at this stage. Not as far off as Marquez, but not as good as when he fought Marquez. Yeah, Kevin Mitchell on the show two weeks ago, yeah. I think, and... Uh, and like remember the job can't say this did on did on yeah yeah Yeah, exactly you know and 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 that's the first day I started to believe myself when when Billy Hussain brought me there for a reason he goes then he he made me focus and 
Um, a lot of the Irish lads that fought out of Australia, like TJ Donny and Dennis Hogan in particular, started picking up the regional belts and all, and uh, it did rise them up to the world rankings. And, you know, they went on to have like these glittering careers, globe-trotting glittering careers. Uh, what was it that held you back from just getting to that stage? Because I'm sure you had like all the talent and connections as well, yeah. like they did. Discipline, Kevin. Discipline. I never had discipline in my life. I had discipline in my own way. Like <laughs> discipline being loyal and this and that. But no discipline in regards to substance abuse, addiction and gambling. And and women as well. Whatever. Like, do you know what I mean? You know what? Australia is very gambling oriented as well. Like oh, Ireland is strong on it. But like, like especially you, know, you can't watch a football match now without being... Battered by about 10 different gambling Pokey lads. machine. Poke, <laughs> Australians. There's crazy. fucking slot machines. There's more slots in fucking. There's more pokey machines in Sydney than the, in New South Wales. Never mind the fucking rest of the other five or six states. In New South Wales than there is in any number of casinos combined in Las Vegas. Every pub is a, is a slot machine haven. Yeah. No, yeah, it's a casino. Yeah, behind the bars, the screens are there with yeah, the yeah, yeah. the pokies, the, the one arm bandits everywhere. Yeah. It gets people in the door, and that's oh, that's what they're looking for. Bro, to that, be that was a bad route for you. If I added up, I'm not trying to brag here. I don't give a fuck if you think I'm bragging. Or anyone listening, I gambled. This is the reality of my life. From when I was eight years of age till I stopped gambling nine months, eight nine, eight months ago now, right? If you combine all that amount of time sitting in this pub to sitting it up, you know, with gambling, I probably spent 10 years of my life consistently, more, probably 10 to 15 years from eight years of age till I was 35 in a fucking bookies, a casino or a gambling venue. Gambling. Can you imagine that? That's fucked up, man. 10 years of my life, nonstop gambling for nothing. Like, gambling... Talking, this is this is nice, Kevin. This is not gambling. This is nice, man. But I'm talking about gambling with machines that you can't win. They're rigged. You're never gonna win. Yeah. But but at the same time, you can't stop. Something compels you to yeah, throw but, money in. Yeah, but that the thing is, you need to go to the end of the barrel to realize there's nothing there before you can rise with the cream back to the top. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.